0: What a great way to set us up this morning as we continue our series in the Gospel of John called Encountering Christ where we're looking at different encounters that Jesus had with various people in that gospel and trying to learn from those encounters for ourselves. This morning the encounter is between some sheep and his sheep and their shepherd. Now, I know for us 21st century Americans, this whole image of a sheep and shepherd uh, probably doesn't make as deep of a connection for us as it did for the people of that day. I'm going to guess on your drive here to church this morning, you didn't come across any shepherds. And yet, it would have been as common in that day for a sheep to be leading a shepherd as it would have for us to be driving in our cars. And I really believe with a little bit of historical and cultural understanding and background, this image of a sheep and shepherd can still play a significant role in our lives as individuals and as a church as well. And really, the first thing we need to know in order to understand this image is that it's all over the Bible. I mean, if you've read through the Bible, as the drama mentioned there, it's, the word sheep is mentioned 400 times alone. And many of those times, it is a direct image or a metaphor or an analogy To God's relationship with his people, especially in the Old Testament, how God views himself as the shepherd of Israel. And many of the times when it is mentioned, it is a promise that he is going to come to be their shepherd personally. In fact, if you're following on your notes with me this morning, throughout the Old Testament, the Lord promised he'd come as our shepherd. The Israelites are described often as his sheep who need a shepherd to come and rescue them. That's the the story of the Bible, the rescuing of God's people. And so many times in the scripture, he promises that he is going to come himself to do that very thing. Let me give you one really powerful example. In Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel prophesies these words. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. And it will no longer be food for them, for this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Listen, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. There have been many false shepherds throughout Israel's history who had led the people astray, but here and in many other places, God promised that he would come himself to gather his flock under his care. And friends, I'm convinced we can't read John chapter 10 without understanding this is exactly the idea that Jesus had in mind when he's about to describe himself as the good shepherd. He's saying God has in fact come to rescue his people, and I'm here I am God in the flesh. I am fulfilling the promise that God gave his people thousands of years earlier, multiple times. The promise is going to be held true. I am the good shepherd who has come to rescue his sheep. The second thing we need to know in order to understand the context of this whole passage is that if Jesus is the shepherd, what does that make us? Don't be ashamed. Come on, let's be proud of this. What does that make us? Sheep. Sheep. Isaiah 53. Says, all of us are like sheep who have gone astray. I like what uh, Ken Davis says about this. He says, I'm not sure about you, but I don't want to be a sheep. Sheep are the geekiest animals ever. (laughs) Now, if you've ever been around sheep, you know that's true. And here's three things you need to understand about sheep in order to understand this passage. And maybe, just maybe, the Bible is accurate in its description of us as sheep. First of all, we need to know that sheep are helpless. We saw that in the drama portrayed so well. Let me ask you, have you ever seen a sheep as a mascot of a sports team? (laughs) Not so much. I mean, the fighting sheep or the killer lambs just doesn't evoke fear into an opponent's uh, psyche, does it? That's because sheep are powerless. They're helpless. They're defenseless. They need the protection of the shepherd in order to watch over them and guard them. They are easily scared, as we saw multiple times there. Now, we're not, nothing like that, right? Second, sheep are followers. Sheep are followers. If you've ever watched sheep or ever had a chance to be around them, you'll notice that whatever the head sheep decides to do, that's what all the other sheep are doing. In fact, a great example, that is a true thing that happens with shepherds. They always have to be on guard because, let's say they're grazing near a cliff. If one of them falls off the cliff while they're grazing, the other ones will just go, oh, there she goes, I'm going to go after her. Now, we're nothing like that, are we? When the advertising industry tells us we need that new thing to fit into culture, it's not like we just go out and buy it. When our friends are doing something, it's not like I'm tempted to do the same thing, even though it might go against my... All right, maybe we have some sheep tendencies. The third thing we know about sheep is that sheep are dependent. So if you're on your notes there, sheep are helpless, followers, independent. I love what a retired professor of philosophy at Bethel College once said, he said, the existence of sheep is the best evidence against the theory of evolution. There is simply no way they could have survived. Now, just to give you a picture of how dependent sheep are, shepherds have this phrase called cast down. What happens is a sheep maybe gets an itch on its back or something, and so it'll lean up or something against a a rock or a tree, and it'll try to relieve the itch on its back, but pretty soon, if it's not careful, if it gets too much weight on one side, boop! flat on its back, all four legs sticking straight up, and a sheep has no ability, especially if it's full of wool, no ability to get itself back up on its feet. It needs the shepherd to come along to rescue it and to put it back up on its feet. Now, that's nothing like us, is it? The Psalms say over and over again words like this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? We've all gone through seasons when our soul has been cast down. When we need someone to come alongside of us, we need a shepherd to come put us back on our feet and give us the hope and courage and strength to face the new day. Maybe the Bible knows what it's talking about here. Maybe I am more like a sheep than I want to admit. So with that understanding, let's take our Bibles and turn them to John chapter 10. We are starting in verse 1, going through verse 2. 21 this morning if you don't have a bible or if you're just getting used to yours you can uh, turn about four-fifths of the way back you can grab one of the red ones in the seat in front of you and join us as we walk through this text this morning now I'm going to do this a little differently than I might normally I'm going to read it through one time just straight through and then we're going to come back after that and we're going to kind of unpack some of the things I've kind of noticed this week about this text but before we read that Would you mind if we just pray one more time and ask God to reveal his truth and grace to us this morning through his word? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that each of us has the opportunity, at least, to have one sitting in our lap right now. The Bible, what a gift. And we want to learn from it right now. We want to learn not only truth, but we also want to see the grace that you offer. We are sheep. We don't want to admit it, but it's true. And yet you claim that you are our shepherd. Help us to see that and see you for who you are this morning. We pray together in Jesus' great name. Amen. Now, we don't do this often here. I know you guys get used to routines here, but because I'm reading it straight through, I'm going to have you stand as we read God's word together. You know that when Jesus would speak, for example, the Sermon on the Mount, he would be seated and all the disciples would have stood and listened to his word. So we're going to do a similar thing this morning. Jesus is about to speak to us some powerful words, so let's receive the word of God together this morning. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. What makes a good shepherd? I think often when we hear these words, we have pictures of Jesus with flowers in his hair, children running around at his feet, a few sheep in the background, you know, like this Thomas Kincaid painting or something. But shepherding was no easy business. As we're going to see, it's demanding and sometimes painful. You know, I think part of our problem, part of my problem, I'm just going to confess to you, in this passage and uh, getting the full weight of it is that we're good. When I hear that word good, I'm immediately thinking of like moralistic stuff or legalistic things or like someone who's better than someone else. So like Jesus, he's a real good guy. And that's what I get from this. And yet, the more I look at it, the word is better translated in Greek as true. The true shepherd. In fact, if you're falling on your notes, Jesus claims, Jesus claims he is the true shepherd God promised. That's what this is all about. He is the one, Ezekiel, had prophesied about hundreds of years earlier. He is the shepherd. We see it again here. You've been seeing it week after week in the Gospel of John. Three times Jesus uses that powerful phrase, I am. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd, unmistakably declaring himself to be God. Listen, I am the shepherd that was promised in the Old Testament who would come and rescue his people. I am here. I'm that shepherd from Ezekiel 34, from Zechariah 11. And in these verses we read, Jesus doesn't just claim it. He backs it up, as he so often does. He makes this ridiculous, audacious claim, I'm the one God promised from the very beginning who would come and rescue his people. By describing himself with four characteristics. Here is what makes me the true shepherd. Here is what makes me worth following. So let's look at these four things. The first thing Jesus claims, if you're following, is that he was appointed by the Father. He was appointed by the Father. Unlike some of the false shepherds of Jesus' time who were actually appointed by bribery because they bought their position... Or because they knew somebody in a high place, I know what you're thinking, sounds a lot like Illinois politics, doesn't it? (laughs) Jesus was appointed by God himself. I might be dating myself here, but any of you remember the show Candid Camera? It's this behind the scenes camera show where they'd hide a camera and then they'd disguise people to play various roles in order to fool someone. Well, one of the times they disguised someone as a career counselor. And I can't remember if it was at a high school or a college, but people would come in and he'd do like some ridiculous stuff like here's the career we think's best for you and one of them this boy goes in, he's a smart kid, scientist, mathematician, you know, he's thinking engineering school, something great is in his future. He goes through this whole process with this fake career counselor and at the end he says, "I think shepherding is what you're really called to." And the look on this boy's face was so despondent like, "What? A shepherd? Who in their right mind would want to be a shepherd?" Jesus. Jesus wanted to be a shepherd, and not only did he want it, the Father said, this is your career path, and he took it up, and he lived it. it. says in verses 1 and 2, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sh- his sheep. Now, That word gate there, in this context, I think it's referring to the prophecies of the Old Testament. The gate. The gate that had been set. Who can enter through the gate but the one who can fulfill all the prophecies that had been said about the coming Messiah. And we know that Jesus, in fact, did. He went through the gate of the Old Testament. We know he was born in Bethlehem which was prophesied in Micah 5:2. We know he was born of a virgin, which was prophesied in Isaiah 14. As we've been seeing in John, he's opening the eyes of the blind. He's unlocking the ears of the deaf. He's preaching the good news to the poor as predicted in Isaiah 61. And we know in his death, he fulfills the prophecies of Psalm 22. Isaiah 53, just to name a few, there are dozens of other prophecies that were given Thousands of years before Jesus came, and yet he fulfilled each and every one of them. He entered through the gate. Anyone else who has ever claimed otherwise is a thief or a robber, he says. He alone has the authority bestowed upon him to enter through the gate. Second characteristic we notice about the true shepherd is that he protects the sheep. He protects the sheep. Using the image of a gate again, this time in a different way, Jesus says in verse 7, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Look down at verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And now read verse 9 out loud with me on your notes there. It says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Unlike farmers in Europe today who raise lambs for their food, shepherds in first century Judea tended their sheep for their wool. The animals grazed and grew these thick mats of fleece, and they would, of course, shear the fleece, and they'd be sold for a significant sum of money. So naturally, the larger a shepherd's flock became, the greater his income. So the loss, can you imagine the loss of just one animal cost him not only a few pounds of fleece, but the ability to make his flock even bigger and bigger. And so these sheep, these shepherds dedicated their lives, literally, to protecting their sheep. It was their livelihood. And the image Jesus is giving is an image that was true not only in that day, but still for shepherds today. He says, I am the gate of What that means is at times when the shepherds couldn't get back to their home and they'd be out in the wilderness and grazing somewhere, at nighttime they would gather all their sheep and they'd put them maybe inside a cave or uh, in a little area and literally the shepherd would lay down in the front of that cave and he would function as the gate. He'd be the gate, right? No sheep can get out and no predators could get in without going through the gate. He would literally protect the sheep by becoming the gate. For them. In a similar way, Jesus Christ has become our gate. He's become our gate. Unlike those Pharisees, who really, that's who Jesus is talking about, is these false shepherds, let's be honest. We saw last week, this is really a continuation of last week, if you were here, when Jesus heals the man who was born blind. We see these shepherds, these supposed shepherds of Israel, not even recognizing the true shepherd, Jesus Christ, because they only cared about protecting themselves and protecting their understanding of who God was. But Jesus came to protect even the helpless. He is our gate. He is our protection. The third characteristic we notice about the true shepherd is that he knows his sheep personally. Did you see this? He knows his sheep personally. Verse 3, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now read verse 14 out loud on your notes. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. In the Bible, the word know, you know it's not just some intellectual knowledge about sheep. He knows them intimately and personally. He knows them in a sense of an intimate relationship. He knows them by name. We saw that displayed in this drama. That is true of shepherds even today. They will be able to recognize their shepherd's voice and the shepherd will be able to recognize each and every one of their sheep. In fact, there are stories told where sometimes uh, all the sheep of different flocks have to be put into one giant pen. So you could have hundreds of sheep in this one pen belonging to a number of different shepherds. But literally, you can have one of the shepherds go to the gate of of the sheep pen and he will give out a call and his 30 sheep or whatever it is will hear that call and they will respond and follow him, and all the others will stay there because that's not their shepherd. They know who their shepherd is. He knows their names. He knows each and every one of their sheep. That's how intimate of a relationship this is. Now, we have had the privilege throughout our study in John seeing, this is the kind of shepherd we have, isn't it? He knows us by name. We have been calling this series Encountering Christ. Why? Because John is filled not just with these great truths it's filled with personal encounters jesus christ had with individual unique people they had names and faces and he spent time with them he knew them we've seen it with john the baptist philip andrew nicodemus the woman at the well the paralytic man the royal official's son last week the man born blind jesus has personal contact with the very people He came to rescue. He is a shepherd who knows his sheep personally. And I hope you know, this is what makes Christianity unique. Yeah? We have a God who's not only the Lord and creator of the universe, but he wants a personal, intimate relationship with each of his children. With you. That is an amazing thing about our shepherd. The fourth characteristic of the true shepherd is that he is willing to lay down his life. For his sheep. He's willing to lay down his life for his sheep. Now, I got to do a little by the way thing here. I got to stay preparing for this uh, sermon this week, and today being Father's Day, I couldn't help but ask myself the question, and maybe you fathers need to do the same thing. It's like, if I'm the shepherd of my family, how well uh, do these characteristics of the true shepherd fit me? Uh, sometimes I don't want to ask that question. But what a great question to ask. When we have a model and example for us, here are the characteristics that his life, I want to have those same kind of things. So let's encourage each other and pray for each other at this church, dads. Let's be these kind of shepherds. Now, you see it four times in this passage. If you were listening, Jesus said he's going to lay down his life for a sheep, right? Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We see it again in verse 15. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says it two more times in verse 17 and 18. And we know, we know the rest of the story, right? He did in fact lay down his life for his sheep. He laid it down his back on a cross. He became the Lamb of God. Taking our place, the place we deserve. Friends, unlike the hired hands and the false shepherds who only care about protecting themselves, Jesus wasn't just doing a job. He was committed out of obedience to the Father to loving and caring for his sheep, even if it meant his life, even if it meant death on a cross. This is why he came. The Lord had promised that he would come to rescue his sheep, and he came. And he laid his life down for us. That He's a good shepherd, isn't it? That is the true shepherd. Well, he makes these ridiculous, audacious, bold, crazy claims. Again, I don't think we realize how audacious this would have been to the people listening to this. I'm the good shepherd. You're kidding me. You're saying you're the fulfillment of all this. What? And watch the crowd's response here in verses 19 and 21 through 21. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, this is great. He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Over and over again, every week almost in the Gospel of John, you get to this moment, right? Jesus makes a claim about himself, and the crowd goes one of two ways. They are divided about who Jesus is. You see, Jesus doesn't leave any middle ground for us he either is the good shepherd he either is the fulfillment of all that god promised or he isn't and so the question we ask ourselves as we kind of wrap up this morning is am i a part of the true shepherd's flock have you decided or are you still divided like these people Have you decided or are you still divided? Am I a part of the true shepherd's flock? Thankfully, we can know if we are. And that's the other side of this passage. Not only does it give us the characteristics of the true shepherd, it gives us the characteristics of his sheep. And so we're going to walk through three things that identify us, maybe, as his sheep. If these things, if you recognize yourself in these things, then you're a part of his flock. Praise be to God. But if not, what a great opportunity to consider where you stand with him. The first characteristic we notice is that Jesus' sheep know and follow his voice. Jesus' sheep know and follow his voice. Read uh, verses 3 and 4 out loud on your notes with me, would you? It says, The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him, Because they know his voice. Listen, sheep are helpless. Sheep are followers. And sheep are dependent. But, if they know their shepherd's voice, they will never be led astray. They may not be the smartest cookies in the cookie jar. But if they know their shepherd's voice, they will never be led astray. Now, how... As his sheep, do we know our shepherd's voice? You got it in your hand right now. He, in an amazing gift, has given us the Bible as his voice to us. And if we not only know it and follow it, if we will just know it and follow it, he will lead us. in everything we need to know about this life, every direction, every question we have, can be answered in this amazing book. By the way, if you were here two weeks ago when we talked about the path to freedom, this sounds eerily similar, doesn't it? Then the words were abide and obey. That is how we lead, walk on the path towards freedom. This morning the words are know and follow. It's the same exact thing. The more I abide in Christ, in his word, the more I know his voice. And the better I know his voice, the more able I am to follow him, to obey him, because I know he is never going to lead me astray. He wants to lead me to life. And so I trust him, and I follow him. I abide. And by abiding, I know. And by knowing, I follow. And by following, I obey. What a beautiful picture that is. That's where freedom is found. Listen, sheep aren't the smartest of animals. We know that. But one thing they know... Do you? One thing they know, do you know? By following your shepherd's voice, you'll never be led astray. You will never be led astray. There are lots of other voices competing with his voice in our world today, aren't there? But there is only one voice that will never lead us astray. Do you believe, here's the question, I think this is where the rub is for so many of us. Do I really believe that he has my best interest at heart, though? Do I believe the shepherd, the good shepherd, really has my best interest at heart? Because I think I know the path that leads to joy. And it doesn't look that way. If you're falling on your notes, am I abiding in and obeying the shepherd? That's how you will know you're one of his sheep. And that will always lead you, always, always, always lead you to the path of of life. Listen, despite all those neon signs out there today that promise great joy, you know, the path of wealth, the path of money, the path of sex, the path of popularity, the path of whatever else it is this world tells us, that's where the joy is found. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. If you'll just follow and know my voice, you will have the path of life. Do you believe that? In fact, that kind of leads to the second characteristic of Jesus' sheep, which is, if you're on your notes, Jesus' sheep are confident and secure. Jesus' sheep are confident and secure. Verse 9 again, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me, what does it say? Might be, could be, will be saved. And I love this. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, I've learned more this week about sheep than I ever wanted to learn. Probably you have this morning. But one thing I found really cool is there's a big difference between wild sheep and domestic sheep. In fact, I had the chance to see this in action. I got to go to Scotland many, many, many years ago. And there's all these wild sheep grazing. And one thing you're going to notice about wild sheep is they're constantly doing this. I mean, they'll grab a bite to eat, head up. Grab a bite to eat, head up. Domestic sheep on the other hand. Sheep that know they're secure, they know that their shepherd is watching over them, they just keep their head down, and they eat till their little heart is content. What an awesome image. What an awesome image of the kind of confidence and security we can have as Jesus' sheep today, right? Now listen, this is a fact, not a feeling. Security and confidence is a fact, not a feeling. In fact, my feelings are going to ebb and flow about this, Right? But the fact remains, truth on the word of God, is that he has conquered even our greatest enemy, death. And as such, I can stand in confidence in my standing and position in Jesus Christ. I might not always feel like it, but it is a fact of who I am. Just like I cannot lose my salvation, my eternal security has been bought. I can keep my head down, friends. I can keep my head down and find contentment. In this world even when I feel afraid Paul wrote it in it just love these verses in Romans 5 good ones to memorize here therefore since we have been justified by faith that just means we've been declared not guilty by the gift of Jesus Christ we've been justified we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Does that describe you? If you're following on your notes, am I sure? Am I sure of my standing in Christ? Jesus' sheep are sure of it. Do you have that confident assurance where you can keep your head down no matter what? And you can just rejoice In the hope you have. Third characteristic I notice about Jesus' sheep, if you're following, is that they are filled with abundant life. They are filled with abundant life. Let's read verse 10 out loud on our notes. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full. Have abundant life. That's what that means. Now, there's a danger for us living in the West, as many people have done, to interpret that to mean prosperity. Lots of money, possessions, creature comforts, a fat wallet, a prestigious job, the nicest house on the block, the sleekest car on the driveway, yet there is no indication anywhere in Scripture that what Jesus means by the abundant life has anything to do with material possessions. In fact, Jesus promised his followers quite the opposite, didn't he? Here's what you can expect persecution. The world's going to hate you for loving me. It is going to be difficult to follow me. Now, Jesus isn't preaching against wealth per se, right? We always got to say that. Wealth, money, possessions, these are all neutral things, and yet he does warn us often in Scripture about the path that they can lead us to if we choose to follow that. Life to the full. What do you think that means, then? If it's not cash, what could it possibly mean to have life to the full? How did these disciples, for example, who each gave up their lives, still claim to have life to the full, the abundant life? In my opinion, this is a promise. Uh, I don't see what else it could be other than the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. You see, the good shepherd did lay down his life for us, didn't he? And then he was resurrected, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. But as the good shepherd, he didn't leave us on our own. For every one of his sheep, he has given us the gift of our own personal shepherd, if you will. The indwelling presence of his very own spirit to lead us and guide us in this life to the path of fullness. The Holy Spirit within us gives us those things we so long for, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. That sounds like life to the full to me. The Holy Spirit gives us a purpose for living, a purpose even for dying, friends, if we have to. To be a follower of Jesus, literally it means we have a superabundance. That's the word there. A superabundance of life because we are walking together with our Shepherd every day if we choose to be in the person of our Holy Spirit. We're going to be studying the Holy Spirit much more in the fall because Jesus is going to talk a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. He's getting ready for his disciples when he's going to leave, so we're going to spend significant portions of time in our study in John talking about the Spirit, but for now, I ask you this question. Is my life flowing with the Holy Spirit's presence and power? Is my life flowing with the Holy Spirit's presence and power? If not then perhaps you do not yet know this shepherd. Because that is a gift promised to every one of his sheep. Every one of his sheep. Now the good news is you can know him. You can know him. It's not too complicated, in fact, to become a sheep. Aren't you glad? Being a sheep is easy. You just need to repent of your sin. That just means turning away from all those other shepherds that so easily lure us acknowledge that you have no ability in and of yourself. You are helpless to save yourself. Do you know that yet? That I have nothing within me where one day, as we all will, where I'm going to stand before the judge and say, I did that good thing. That won't save me. I have to acknowledge that I'm helpless, just like a sheep, and then simply, by faith, receive the grace that was poured out on the cross. Of Jesus Christ. And at that moment, that is where you will begin, listen, a lifelong process. It is a process becoming a sheep. A lifelong process where if you begin to abide and obey, you will begin to hear and know His voice more, and it will be a joy to follow Him. And that will lead into more confidence and security of your standing as one of His sheep. And that in turn leads to the abundant life. Life to the full of walking in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not hard to become a sheep. The shepherd invites you to become one today, in fact. I love verse 16. If you still have your Bible open, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Did you know you're in the Bible? I am too. You see, I don't think any of us in this place are Israelites, are we? The people that God had chosen originally to be his sheep, but here he says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. That's us. That's you. That's me, and he wants nothing more than to invite you in to his care and to his protection and to follow him. Jesus put it this way in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15 some of you know this parable well suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it and when he finds it he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says rejoice with me i have found my lost sheep did you know that's how god feels about you friend? I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That is the heart of your shepherd. If you're falling on your notes, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The question is, as it seems to me, every single week in the Gospel of John, will I follow him? He came to seek and save the lost. Will I follow him? Will I make him my shepherd today? Let's pray. Lord, I don't know how we can't be anything but encouraged by a passage like this, where we are told so clearly that the very purpose you came, Jesus, was to fulfill the promise what the entire Bible is about, that you want to rescue your people. And uh, while I don't want to always acknowledge I'm a sheep, I can see myself in this passage this morning. And I know that I need a shepherd. And Lord, I believe there may be some here this morning who have never made the decision to become one of your sheep, to make you their shepherd. So uh, Lord, I pray, I pray right now that they would hear the invitation that we just heard in verse 16. This is why you came, to invite others, to invite us, to invite you, to invite me into a relationship with you. You know each of us personally, and you loved us so much that you laid down your life for us. So we cling to that right now. For others of us, maybe this is just a morning when we've walked off the path. So easy to do. Every day I find myself doing it, and you want to call us back. You want to call us back. May we recognize your voice today. And now, Lord, as we uh, have the opportunity to uh, listen to the words of this song, which are just songs straight from this chapter, from these verses, I pray that we might hear it, the invitation that you give each of us this morning. You invite us. You invite us to become your sheep. You are the good shepherd. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>